ladies and gentlemen, to Coit Jamie. Well, well, well. Another Prime Minister. Three in the space of a year. Yep, that's where we're at. In the words of Public Enemies, Chuck D. Bring noise. FM Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is Woski. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Circumstances. Um, see, whenever I do the intros, right? Um, just the intro, like, you know, for the FM Podcast Network, right? That one. That part of the intro. The second part of the intro, not the cold open. Um, but whenever I do those, I always feel less energetic than what the music provides. <laughs> you know, I feel like I I feel like I should be, you know, morning radio loud, you know what I mean? It's 8am. It's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm 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 not built like that. And also I'm in a residential area. <laughs> I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to shout the house down. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the only thing I miss from being in student radio is being in an actual studio where you can just shout the house down, man. It's just, it's great. Um, it's, 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 it's fucking great. It's really, it was really fun doing those intros, man. It was, it was really, really fun. Uh, you could just pump yourself up as you get in the door. Uh, as soon as you start recording, or as soon as you start, um, as soon as you're on there, on there, on air, um, it just gets, it just gets fire. It, it, it just get, you just get a fire like, uh, uh, just lit in your belly a bit. You know what I mean? Just like, let's get it. You know. <laughs> but now I have to be now because I'm recording in my room. I have to, you know, I can, I can, I'm, I'm talking loud and clear, right? You know what I mean? The levels are pretty good right now, right? Um, you can hear me well. I'm sure your volume's, at, you know, probably halfway. Doesn't need to be more, much more than that. Um, but you know, well, the levels are good. I would still like to have that ability to just like, ah, <laughs> you know what I mean, just uh, it's just a uh, just uh, just a thought again. Just you know, just saying, I have to have to uh, uh, think about, I guess. Um, but anyway. I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, just wanted to get that one out there. But yeah, I don't know. Just <laughs> past that, I feel um, incredibly uh, just apathetic about everything. It's just um, politics does something to you when you when you uh, when you link when you're uh, invested in it, right? Well, not even invested in it, but when you when you take notice of it, there you go. When you when you take notice of politics, it it can fuck you up. It really can. So you know, I listen to a few. Um, I, I listen to a few, you know, politics-based podcasts, right? And sometimes the way they talk about things comes off as just—I I don't know—it's it's like it's like they've been so indoctrinated into the world that they're in, you know, being media journos. Uh, that they can't 
and and because they have to uh, operate on a form of impartiality, they can't really just they can't really say what they kind of you know subjectively I feel like they should say right. Um, it's just it's just really weird how they talk sometimes about certain things. Um, we'll talk about a little bit of it in the first topic. Um, if you've seen the full show notes, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, it's just weird. It's just weird. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about <laughs> that, but that was just on my mind. Anyway, uh, I mean, I know I'll talk, no, I, I, I came back. I know what I'm talking about now. So the reason why I said that is because just watching the shit that happens, watching another prime minister come in the door uh, and reappoint likes of Suella Braveman who literally resigned a week ago um as I, as I record it, just nothing life isn't fair you know what i mean just life isn't fair it just really is not fair when shit like that happens and you just wonder what's the point what's the point of participating if rules don't apply to people if rules don't apply to the highest offices you know what i mean it just doesn't make sense to me um just shit ain't fair and i'm just I, it just makes me apathetic you either get angry or you'll get like me, where it's just, you just reach such a state of ap- apathy, you just don't really care anymore. Um, and you just feel emotionally blank, emotionally vacant. That's kind of why I feel when I, in the past two weeks especially, just emotionally vacant. And you know, that's more to do, that's some to do with uh, personal shit as well. But you know, that's a, that's the side of it I'll, I'll choose to tell you on that front. But anyway. Let's get into the show. We have a politics, arts, and two tech subjects. Um, to I'm, I've tried, I've attempted to keep it reasonably light from last week because last week f- mentally destroyed me. I just, I just, I was not ready. I was not ready to take all that. Um, personally, just not in the right mindset. Uh, and yeah, so I've, I've, I've called it down. I've called it now. Uh, watch out. Um, yeah, I, I'm calling it a bit. Sorry. So let's get into it. Uh, email to the Discord link, all that, all that, all that in the full show notes. Uh, please go pick the articles for yourself. Go give them a read for yourself and support the writers and make the show possible. And with that said, let there be drop. And let's get into the show. Where Liz Trust is gone as PM, Rishi Sunak becomes Prime Minister, Brittany Griner's appeal is rejected and will serve nine-year prison sentence in Russia, obviously. Uh, multiple brands cuts, uh, cut ties with Kanye West. And lastly, which is a hilarious headline, this one. LGBT football fans told to be respectful at Qatar World Cup because, yes... You guys have to be respectful. Respectful. You're in Qatar now. You can't. You need to tone down the gay. All right, tone it down. All right, just relax. Stop being gay when you're in Qatar. Okay, is you can't. You simply can't write it. You you really can't. Out fucking standing. Can't. Can't. One month away, guys. One month away. Ah, oh, so exciting. Ah, oh, so exciting. Anyway, let's get into this. Your boy Rishi Sunak. Right. So, my issue, chiefly, <laughs> among a, men, a myriad of issues, um, obviously, when it comes to the likes of Rishi Sunak, 
it's just it's just diversity shit, man. I just we need to get out of this. We really need to get out of this. Um, and again, this kind of links to the intro I had when I was talking about how polit uh, how uh, politi- political journalists talk about politics, right? And they have you know entire segments about the fact that Rishi's Indian. Uh, is he Hindu? Hindu, we Hindus Indian. So yeah, Hindu. Um, and it's just, <laughs> it's just, it, it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. This shit doesn't matter anymore. Um, but anyway, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Uh, so I found this a uh, little opinion piece uh, via uh, Independent uh, by Ryan Coogan. Uh, it's called Rishi Sunak isn't a victory for diversity. He's more of the same. So let's jump right in. A couple of years ago, I went to the US as part of an exchange trip during my PhD. This was just as the 2016 election was heating up, so I spent a lot of my time talking politics with liberal college professors on who were just to the left of Marx on just about every issue, and our conversations conversations couldn't have been more of an echo chamber if we sealed ourselves into a pod and shot ourselves into space. I remember I was invited to one professor's house for Thanksgiving, and subject of recently appointed Prime Minister Theresa May came up. My little coven of American liberals was in pretty much unanimous agreement. A woman in charge? You must be thrilled. What a great day for the rights of the marginalised. It was difficult to explain to a group of people who were throwing their lot uh, in behind uh, Hillary Clinton to slay the spectre of sexism once and for all in American politics that, sure, May was a woman, but she was still a monster. You know, like Margaret Thatcher, I was asking, I remember asking, a quick exchange of glances, was dot dot dot, Thatcher not good either? Uh, We're seeing a similar thing happen now that Rishi Sunak is taking his mandatory three-week stint in the big boy chair. A a rite of passage all Tory MPs must apparently go through at some point during this government's tenure, becoming the UK's first British Asian Prime Minister. Joe Biden even hailed his appointment as a, quote, groundbreaking milestone, unquote. Don't get me wrong, it's great that this country, and the Conservative Party in particular, is able to overcome its history of degrading racism to the point that a BAME person... Uh, can hold the highest office in the land, even if it's only until Halloween. But celebrating the appointment of a man who has been complicit, if not instrumental, to the, in the adoption of policies that have disproportionately harmed minority ethnic communities isn't just short-sighted, it's obscene. The symbolic victory of having a British-Asian person assume power doesn't count for much when that British-Asian person holds huge swathes of your swathes. I feel like people don't actually say it how that word spelled swathes. So it sounds like a. I sound like I'm saying waves, but just with an S in it. White swathes. I'd like to respell that as white swathes. Just, just Oxford Dictionary, hit me up. I've got some, I've got some tips for you. Uh, hold huge swathes of your country in contempt due to their backgrounds and financial circumstances. Just like how it doesn't matter if your home secretary is of Indian descent. When that Home Secretary describes shipping immigrants off to Rwanda with a near sexual pleasure, Sunak may be from a minority background, but he's also worth around seven hundred million, seven hundred thirty million pounds. He's married to a woman who's richer than the late Queen. He's boasted about funneling money from deprived urban areas to wealthy ones. His experience of life is so far removed from the average British Asians or the life of anybody living in the UK that touting his identity as some victory rings completely hollow. It also causes us to question why we even tell these victories in the first place. Not to say that we shouldn't, we absolutely should, but it's worth keeping track of why these milestones are significant to begin with. Having a British Asian, or a female, or a black, or a trans person in the position of authority isn't just good for its own sake. 
It's good because it acts as tangible proof of social progress. But when that progress is embodied by somebody whose beliefs, policies and actions are so wildly regressive, it creates something of a nullifying effect. Conservatives can brag about having the first this or that person in this or that position all day long, but it doesn't magically make their party a bastion of social equality. It just means that we've arrived at a point where those identity characteristics aren't automatically tied to issues of class the way they were in the past. In highly important paragraph right there that was a complete just rewind and listen to that paragraph again seriously that's that's the that's the crux of all this because that's what's really that's what that's what this really comes down to class we do so much to avoid talking about issues of class in this country that we'll go out of our way to praise a near billionaire for getting to the top so you can act policies that may kill people living on benefits Excuse me. We get so caught up in symbolic signifiers that we completely ignore tangible realities like whether or not a person can afford to live. The fact that is if the fact is that if Rishi uh, if Sunak's appointment tells us anything about the UK is this: you can be prime minister without being white, you can be prime minister without being Christian, you can even be prime minister without being elected, but you can't be prime minister without being rich. We can squeal and clap our hands with neoliberal glee every time a wealthy person of colour gets a turn ruining the country, but it means very little until we fill those seats with people who know what it's like actually living here on the front lines, regardless of ethnicity, religion, sexuality, or a million other characteristics that pair just as well with rich as white and male do. Each victory will ring hollow until we manage to breach the halls of power with meaningful class representation. There isn't much point making the House of Commons look like a CW show if nobody in that visually diverse cast of characters has any idea how to use a contactless credit card. Sunak isn't a victory for diversity, he's more of the same. The sooner we recognise that, the sooner we'll realise what it's going to take to inject our politics with real and much needed diversity of background. We'll have to be quick though. He'll probably have been replaced by the time you get to the end of the cycle. Okay. Uh, so, you know, jokes aside, very, very witty uh, piece, of course, but, um, <sighs> man, I, I, it's, it, it, I keep, the amount of times I'm going to have to keep recommending that Hardeep Mathari long read that I did a couple of weeks, uh, over a month ago now, I'm, I'm going to have to keep recommending it because that is really just the root of everything right now when it comes to this shit, like, just, just watching people, for, oh, why did I see why did I see a dude in Parliament go inshallah? Why did he? Why am I seeing this? Why am I seeing a middle-aged white dude go inshallah? Why? Why am I doing this? Why? Why are we? Why, what are we doing here? Seriously, what are we doing? Like you just—it's so funny. It's so funny how identity politics has um, just kind of been uh, just hijacked. You know, just. Uh, it, 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 I'm I'm kind of glad in some ways that you know race isn't a monolith anymore, right? Um, well, it never was, but you know what I mean. It's not it's not seen as a monolith anymore. Um, we don't talk about you know. I mean, in the UK, we don't we don't really talk about you know the black vote or you know the Asian vote. They they don't racialize. Um, they don't racialize uh, voting here like the US do. Um, they they break that down heavy over there, and they only base it off like four things: it's like white, black, Latino, and Asian. <laughs> like you, you fit in those one. You you better fit in one of those fucking categories, because um, apparently that's all. That's all. There's only four labels that you can have. Um, but 
Yeah, they don't they don't do that in terms of voting, but everywhere everywhere else, you know, obviously in course in terms of leadership, they don't care. They don't mind. They don't mind um, being div- diverse because they all have the same thoughts. It doesn't matter. The race doesn't matter at this point. They're rich as fuck, and that's what they're protecting. They don't kill black people because well. Okay, right, okay, let's say that. Racism clearly is a, still a thing, okay? And they kill black people, right? Because they're black, right? They do that sometimes. They do that sometimes, but they operate entirely, most of the time, overwhelmingly, let's say, they, they judge it by class. It just so happens that some of us are mixed, uh, mixed race, white, doesn't really matter, right? But they base it most most of the time on class. They want rich people to be richer. They want poor people to be poorer. They kind of don't care who they are. They can't, They really kind of don't. They they just care what's in your what's in your bank account and how they can make your life worse. That's kind of it. Um, and we need to get out of the. We, obviously, race is still a point. Okay, you know, race is still a point. Hopefully, there's a day where it ain't important, right? But it's important at this point, right? I'm not saying don't talk, don't think about race anymore. Ra- uh, ra- you know, racism is over because Rishi Sunak's prime minister. Nope. Just like feminism isn't over because there have been three conservative prime ministers in the past 40 years, okay? Or 50, how long was it since the years? One, two, three, four, yeah, four years. So, you know, feminism isn't over, right? Because Liz Truss was prime minister for a bit, or Theresa May was prime minister for a bit, or Margaret Thatcher was prime minister for a bit, right? We can still acknowledge that feminism is still a thing and sexism is still a thing, so why not race, right? Just because as a British Asian uh, uh, Prime Minister doesn't mean the racism over. And don't call him the fucking Barack Obama of, of the UK, I swear. Please, don't be doing that. Don't, don't, don't. Let's not, let's not do that. Please, let's not play that game. We have just little time. And one thing I'll leave it on. Um, you know, people talk about, um, not that I care about what Labour does at this point, because they're kind of just, they're kind of just um, conservative light at this point. Um while uh, you know people constantly get at them for you know not being diverse, right? And there's a reason for that. Um, shout out to Ash Sarkar from Navarra Media who did some really good tweets based on this, and I'll paraphrase. Um, basically, you know, Labour are just shit scared of what the media will say to them because the media understand class consciousness. They oh they do oh yeah yeah they 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 understand class consciousness, right? So if Labour logically had a black leader, which could have, is enti- could have been possible. Could have been possible for the for the past forty years, right? Could have, they definitely could have been some takers right there, right? They could have found someone if they tried, right? If they made a concerted effort, right? If they didn't bash their 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 um their MPs of color, right, and uh, belittle them, uh, while they could have, the media would have just lambasted them for the rest of time, and it's like they betrayed the working class. Oh, it's like. They're just shit scared of the media, bro. That's the only reason why the likes of Keir Starmer's leader. The next one will probably be fucking, I don't know, Angela Rayner or some shit. And another white person, and then the other white person. Because Labour are shit scared of the media. That's all it is. But anyway. Yeah. Rishi Sunak, just, just another dude, man. Just another dude. And even kind of, not even that, actually. I'll take that back. Not just any other dude. The richest MP ever. Alright. In in the in one of the worst cost of living crises we have had in recent memory, we have the richest MP in power. 
If that's not, <laughs> if that's not ironic, I don't know what is. Uh, this light in the load with uh, a funny, fun, interesting story actually. I was, um, I was, I was just, I, I kind of just stumbled upon this one. Um, I missed the site stumbled upon. Do you guys remember that class site? I don't, I think it's gone now. Um, I sort of like, I remember seeing an email like years ago saying stumbled upon is going to be offline. So I'm assuming it's still dead. But um, yeah, I, re- I remember that site. You literally just press the button and it would just, t- and, you know, pick some categories of interest, like cars or what, you know, whatever games and just press the button boom and they'll give you a, a, an interesting site that you've never been to before most likely um really fascinating shit real fun time to waste uh, waste uh, real fun way to waste time but anyway let's talk about social media um and the verified account scams uh so this is called the black market for blue checks this is by um shubham agarwal uh via the verge and uh, yeah, it's pretty much what it says on the tin. It's about blue checks and people scamming for it, I guess. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, on August 15th, an alarming email popped up in the inbox of Diana Pearl, a New York-based news editor. Someone in Moscow had logged into her verified Twitter account, it said. Uh, Pearl was familiar with the email's content theme as it resembled previous automated correspondence from Twitter featuring a minimal white background, black text and blue links. Fearing her account safety, Pearl clicked the link inside the email that supposedly would instantly let her secure her account and enter her existing password on the following web page, web page to update. Update, excuse me. Moments later, a message arrived in a Telegram group. All it contained was a screenshot of Pearl's Twitter profile and a link. Three hours later, the admin texted "sold." Pearl had fallen prey to a phishing attack. The email wasn't from Twitter, but a hack from a hacker who had copied the look of an official Twitter page. Pearl was out when the email landed and assumed she couldn't afford to wait until she was home to read it on her computer. Plus, the email's urgent tone rushed Pearl to react without verifying its details. If she had, she might have noticed the fishy email address it came from or the fact that the link didn't lead to the official Twitter URL. Pearl's account was just one sale in a vast and highly lucrative black market for verified Twitter handles. In this particular Telegram group, control of a verified account usually goes for a couple hundred dollars, which buyers usually hope to make back by promoting NFT scams. We still doing that, guys? We still doing NFT? Is that still a thing? I've literally not heard it in a year, in, in not a year, but like maybe since spring. I don't think I've heard it since spring. <laughs> so around around that time. Oh, God damn, NFTs are dead. Anyway, uh, such thefts occur regularly, with dozens losing their profiles every day if the frequency of new listings on marketplaces for verified profiles is any evidence. And despite years of evidence, platforms seem powerless to stop the ongoing trade. When the Atlantic writer Jacob Stern's account was compromised in May earlier this year, it was used to dupe Moonbird's NFT owners into transferring their tokens into the hacker's wallet. After a few hours, the hackers sent out hundreds of tweets announcing a new drop with a phishing link, which prompted buyers to transfer a sum of cryptocurrency in exchange for a fake NFT or none at all. I mean, how are you can't, <laughs> how are you knowing if an NFT is fake or not? Honestly, like, how, how do you verify that? Any in in general, how would you, how would you verify that for yourself? I guess it's certification, but whatever. I am not educated in that, and I'd rather not be. Uh, uh, MP MPR news is it N or M? 
usually it's NPR, but it's like it's NPR in this case, uh, for Maisie. Uh, NPR reporter uh, Dana Ferguson's profile was similarly rebranded in August, except for the username which would have revoked the verification page. There's still Killer Bears NFTs, these names. Uh, both com- compromises link back to the same Telegram group where the accounts were listed for sale. I don't know, man. I feel like Telegram is just hacker central. I don't, I don't, I don't see Signal um, having these. Um, I'm sure they do, but um, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of the phishing scams happen on Telegram these days. Don't know, but something about Telegram apparently. Some hackers, even in this smaller NFT artist in the scam. When California-based writer Marissa Wensky was hacked, her account ran a promotional campaign for the group behind the NFT collection called Meta Battlebots. Fucking hell. What is these names? They're so corny and basic. Killer bears. What the fuck? A real NFT art project. Oh, was it real now? Okay. Uh, with no obvious associated scam. When informed that they were being promoted by a hacked account, the official, the official Meta Battlebots Twitter account responded, no worries on that. A moment later, they blocked the reporter's account, ending the conversation. Uh, Dipenjan Das, a uh, security researcher at UC Santa Barbara, who conducted an exhaustive study on NFT fraud, says a verification badge adds a stamp of authenticity, and a scammer with a verified Twitter profile can attract much stronger attention and have higher impact. And by targeting the multi-billion dollar NFT ecosystem, is it still billions? I don't know. Uh, both hackers and buyers or scammers uh, can recoup their costs in a few tweets before account owners initiate the recovery process. Quote, uh, in a single ordinary NFT scam, it's very easy for scammers to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hasib Awan, the founder of and CEO of Efani, a secure uh, mobile service provider, tells The Verge, even if one attempt is successful out of 10, it's a lot of money. Unquote. Previously, blue-check Twitter thefts were both rare and coordinated, largely traded on marketplaces like Swapped and Ogu.gg. However, as uh, as demand for verified accounts surges for NFT promotions and scams, hackers have taken to more accessible channels like Telegram to reach broader audiences. And the way hackers break in is easier than you'd think. Honestly, if I see a Telegram link anywhere, I'm just like, no, I'm good. I just, I just. Impo- just empirically just do not trust Telegram in any fashion. Uh, most hackers behind blue check Twitter thefts uh, rely on an attack called credential stuffing. As per conversations with The Verge, uh, as per conversations The Verge had with many current and former hackers who requested anonymity over fears of pushback in the security community. In a credential stuffing attack, uh, hackers begin with a vast leaked database of username and password combinations, which no longer are hard to come by, courtesy of the rise of large-scale reaches. Intruder brute forces the usernames and passwords from the match credentials on Twitter's uh, login form and puts the successful hits up uh, for sale in their groups. When that approach hits a wall, either because the account has two-factor authentication uh, or enabled or they have reused the password from a breached account, attackers turn to phishing. As fem- email, f- <laughs> I said female. As email phishing, female phishing. Uh, grows, they might be female, who knows, uh, grows less effective over email. Uh, they have moved uh, to trying on Twitter, repurposing a hacked blue check account to impersonate Twitter's support team. God fucking hell, Twitter's support team, imagine. A former hacker, imagine all this effort for it, jeez man. A former hacker named Owen, who's worked, uh, obviously not Owen, who has worked on development for credential stuffing programs, told The Verge that any give, at any given moment, dozens of verified profiles are compromised and looking for a buyer. In one DM conversation I saw, 
A prospective buyer said he was looking for someone who has experience with stealing NFTs with verified profiles. I can supply you with roughly 500 verifieds within the next month, he added. Fuck. Um, and so if I'm ever verified, I'm dipping, honestly. That's, it's, well, actually, don't verify me. Fuck it. Uh, and while individual compromises... Imagine me if verified. <laughs> and while individual compromises can be a headache for users like Pearl, it's remained rare enough that platforms don't seem to be uh, troubled by the ongoing trade. Telegram didn't respond to a request for comment from The Verge. Oh, no, wow, well, I was surprised. Twitter's communications manager Celeste Carswell says the social network actively works to educate people about how to avoid scams and lock min- locks millions of suspected spam accounts each week. Unfortunately, scammers have become more sophisticated, Caldwell told the badge. Yeah, I mean, uh, hackers are always going to be one step ahead in some fashion, right? That's kind of just how it is, right? That's just kind of how, how life works. But yeah, man, I just don't know, really know how people can just see a verified account and they're just like, yeah, okay. You know what I mean? I guess, obviously, it gives off the vibe of authenticity, but, uh, I mean, if you, especially if you follow them and know what their tweets are about, and they're just hitting you up about NFTs, you're just going to be like, uh, you alright, bruv? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Verified or not, you're going you're gonna to feel a bit, you know, what's going on here kind of thing. Um, email phishing. I mean... I have been, I've nearly been fished. Um, I've nearly been fished once. Um, I think I'll tell the story, but I'll tell it again for, for kicks. So it was during lockdown, and uh, as you can imagine, because people in lockdown and using, you know, delivery services more uh, more often uh, than most, uh, I had an email from, uh, oh no, it wasn't an email actually, it was a, it was a text message. It was te- I've, been, I've been text fished, but not email fished. Um, it was a text message from a Royal Mail, right? Well, quote, supposed to be Royal Mail. And they were like, uh, uh, you need to pay one pound for shipping shipping costs or something. And I'm like, at first I was just like, huh, did I order anything? Because, you know, we were all ordering shit at that point, right? Because I was generally thinking, racking my brain to think, have I ordered something? Am I waiting for something? And um, it came, it, I, I, I ignored it the first time. And then it came again, and uh, I went for it again. And uh, I forget how deep I went into it. I don't know if I entered details or not. Actually, I probably did. Um, so, yeah, I did that. And then, no word of a lie, uh, <laughs> I was listening to a podcast, right? I think it was Today in Focus from The Guardian, right? And la da it was an episode based on royal mail phishing scams, tech scams. I was like, uh, literally the start of it was like a cold open of just this woman telling her story. And I was just like, oh no. (laughs) And then she kept explaining shit and it was like really close to what I I did. And I'm like, oh no. (laughs) It was just like, I lost this much money. I'm like, oh no. So I, I, I locked my I locked my uh, bank account quick, fast, and in a hurry. Um, contacted them, contacted my bank to say, "Yo, I might be in a, I might have just uh, got caught up in a scam. Um, I've locked my account just for safety, but can you please uh, just uh, you know restart me on you know card and that?" And they were like, "Yeah, we got you." Um, so yeah, man, I've I've nearly been text fished. Um, I've been email fished. Um, I can't, but even with that said, I can't imagine. 
I can't imagine a verified account coming to me going like, Oh, you want some NFTs? It's like, I don't know, it's just a bit... I don't know, it just, just seems a bit unsophisticated, uh, in my view. But, hey man. Hey man, we've all been there. We have all been there. Okay, back to depressing. Um, so I've talked regularly since lockdown, especially. Um, I've talked about funding, arts funding, and the lack of funding that the entire sector is being given in the UK. Obviously talked about uh, the uh, the music side, live music side, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I've done that a few times. Uh, and that, that's more connected to the exit than anything, um, as it as obviously pertains to artists um, traveling especially you know trying to travel to the EU for like several months da, 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 the logistics of that and how they get other people there etc etc um, but yeah this is more just uh, this is more domestic um, and uh, it's looking bleak man and this is this this contributes excuse me this contributes to my uh, to my apathy because I can't I don't have money right now to hit up shows. Um, and that makes me sad because obviously emotionally I like getting out of the house and hitting up shows I like potentially taking pictures of these shows and I like editing those shows and dropping them all of that gives me you know a rush and adds to my purpose in life in my mind right Um, it makes me feel good all of that but economically I'm not giving anything to the economy right now in that in that sense right I'm not I'm not helping in but i can't because i have no money so how does that work um and this is this is where this is where it comes to this is what it comes down to because because i'm sure there's people like me right now that have, that have had to cut down on book you know hitting up shows going to te- like you know just getting on the train and going somewhere less of that there's gonna be less of that um so this is when it gets into funding especially for the arts so this is called, it's really desperate, cost of living crisis spells bleak times for British arts venues. Uh, this is by Esther Adley and Harriet Sherwood. And uh, yeah, some good examples here um, in, 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 the, in the back end of this as well. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's real shit, man. It's real shit. All right, let's jump home. When Sarah Munro uh, was first appointed director of one of Britain's biggest art galleries, the Baltic Centre for Contemporary Art, she would joke about sticking a tidal mill on its uh, side to make the most of its location on the River Tyne in Gateshead. Seven years on, amidst a escalating fuel price crisis, the cost of heating the car, ca- cavernous uh, building is no joke, and ne- neither is the tidal energy plan. Faced with the prospect of fuel bills nearly tripling uh, to top one million a year, the Baltic is now consulting with renewables experts to see if they can generate their own energy and thus mitigate a looming crisis that many in the cultural sector are warning could wipe out some institutions. She doesn't yet know if the renewable plan is feasible or, would, or where they would find the capital funds to invest, it, uh, invest in it. Uh, quote, but we have to protect the institution as much as we can, uh, Munro said. I don't want to manage decline. I'm ambitious for what we can achieve for our communities and we know there is huge demand for what we do, unquote. The very worst case scenario it would be to close their doors for a period to keep the gallery going, though she hopes it won't come to that. But, quote, we have to look at all options, unquote. 
These are acutely anxious days for the diverse sectors that make up Britain's creative industries. Those institutions which made it, sometimes barely, through the pandemic are now contending with huge leaps in fuel prices, increased staffing costs, reluctant audiences, there you go, reluctant audiences like me, and the logistical cost and hangovers of the exit, which we talked about a few weeks ago, and many other times. Uh, for many uh, visual arts institutions, it's really desperate, says Paula Orell, uh, director of Sivan, England? C-V-A-N? Kavan? Sivan? I don't know how to word it. A network that supports uh, the visual arts sector. Some, including a number of major museums and galleries, are burning through their reserves just to be able to survive, she says. These are not the kind of institutions that, as a country, we can afford to lose. Theatres, meanwhile, are, quote, verging on catastrophe. This, win- this winter, according to one major operator, as a result of soaring energy bills and fa- falling ticket sales due to the cost of living crisis, hard on the heels of two years of COVID closures. Energy was a hugely, hugely significant operational cost, which is putting severe fin- financial pressure on our sector, says Trafalgar Theatres, which operates 13 venues across the UK. Even with government support for the next six months, the group was facing a 179% increase on its 2021-22 energy bills. Further increases and a withdrawal of government support next spring would be potentially disastrous, it said. National Theatre, too, is facing an increase in its energy costs over the next six months from 450000 to $1.6 million. Even taking into account the government's health for businesses, the bill for 2023-24 is expected to be about $3.3 million. Fucking hell. It's an ex- extraordinary hit for us, said Executive Director Kate Vara. Uh, it, leaves, uh, it leaves us with two options, kind activity or digging into limited re- reserves. Box office sales, almost 35% of income are still down on pre-COVID levels, levels, while payroll and material costs are increasing by up to 10%. Arts organisations in England will learn next week how much Arts Council funding they will receive for a three-year period from April 2023. And for many, there is acute anxiety as they wait to hear what they will receive. The government has already said it's committed, it is committed to directing more funds to bodies outside London. Quote, we agree funding should be spread to underserved areas of the country, but for the NT, it means at best it will be flat and at worst will face a 15% cut, said Vara. The NT was working on a long-term response to the age of crises, she added. We expect it's going to be turbulent for the next 10 years if we make a plan to, if we can make a plan to sustain and thrive rather than breathlessly go from one challenge to another. Uh, we have a better chance of survival, unquote. The Arts Council of Wales said many independent venues face closure after the cost of putting on productions rose by 40, up to 40% compared to a year ago. Quote, we are receiving reports of action being planned or taken uh, to price uh, to raise prices. Uh, prices. Why did I say, why did I say that weirdly? Prices. Uh, to reduce uh, performances, exhibitions, uh, community activity, touring, hours of operation and workforce levels. Uh, is said in a submission to the Welsh Parliament early this month. And Norlang, the executive producer of Theatre Royal Stratford East in East London, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, said costs are going up and income is coming going down. It's quite hard to see how everyone gets through this. She was in the midst of really difficult conversations about ticket prices. We're already seeing a hit to secondary spending, programmes and drinks. I fear we're going to see people not going to the theatre at all or going as cheaply as possible, she added. This is really tough coming after two and a half years of COVID. Hell, 
Um, at least when we had brilliant government support, this feels terrifying. Uh, Dan Bates, ch- chief executive of the Sheffield Crucible, uh, said his organisation, quote, can just about cope, providing audiences keep coming. Ticket price, it, uh, uh, unquote, ticket sales were down about 220%. I, I sound like I said 220, just 20% on uh, pre-pandemic levels. And there was, quote, great debate about what we should be putting on. Radical new productions were likely to give way to more reliable crowd pleasers. <sighs> I quote that I quote just made me sad because that's the, that's the problem with film right now, you know. Um, that's the issue with film right now is that there's not many there's not many opportunities for uh, risk taking. And what is art if not taking risk? Um, create if if not taking a creative risk. When you don't take creative risks it gets stale very quickly and it doesn't and 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 things don't age well like that yeah and they just don't age when you ain't got the time and you don't put the f- you don't put the time in you don't put the funding in you don't put the risk in it you know having everything just be super basic is and quote unquote crowd pleasers like that's just that that's that's a that's that's a that's a road to hell in some ways. That's a, that's a road to just nothingness. Because what happens when they get bored of that? You know what I mean? What 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 does he ask yourself that question? What does it happen? And I'm not, you know, saying this is a slight to them and just going like you know, they they're they're clearly sweating and that's the that's the logical option, right? So it's a logical option. Um but that's kind of just not what art should be, right? That's, anyway. The theatre was reviewing its ticket prices and is likely to increase the number of cheaper seats, quote, but we're very conscious that 15 quid is what some people have to spend on food for a week, he said. <clears throat> it feels like we're under attack from all sides. The joy of what you're doing soon disappears. Our sector is very resilient and entrepreneurial. We operate on really tight margins, said Paul Hobson, our director of Modern Art Oxford, one of the country's leading regional galleries. While his typical energy costs would be about 30k a year, however... We're being quoted figures around the region of in the region of two hundred thousand. Fucking hell. Uh, he added, "It's not just any energy costs, but shipping, transport, insurance, materials, fabrication costs, staffing costs. All of the, these costs are inflated. That puts a lot of pressure on just you know, uh, just on your operating model. They have already reduced their opening hours. Options now include cutting the number of exhibitions and charging for more of them. Outreach to undeserved underserved communities. Meanwhile." and plans to reduce their environmental impact were inevitably hit too. For small organisations, the margins are even narrower, often even narrower. Uh, Lucy Day, the interim executive director of Phoenix Art Space in Brighton, said that uh, with their own utility costs having doubled, she had no option but to pass on that, uh, pass that on to the 120 artists who rent their studio spaces. We simply can't absorb that. It would exhaust our res- reserves in a very short space of time. For many of them, however, a rise of even twenty or thirty pound a month could prove prohibitive. Up to a point, we can add extra layers, but uh, in an old glass-fronted building, and there's a limit to how low you can take the temperature before the studio becomes unworkable. Across the sector, she said she could see all kinds of cultural institutions having to reduce their hours at the very least. Uh, quite, and there will be a very uh, there will be a wider societal impact how damaging would it be if you suddenly look around and you think there are no performing venues or far fewer galleries and museums and libraries that people can go to anymore 
or they're in other another town because uh, because the one in your local town shut down. So I think the landscape is quite scary. That's a bit of an understatement. And that's a great quote to finish on. There is more um, more personal uh, examples uh, it, further down the article. But I think that's a great point to leave on, um, simply because I just feel that's kind of the bleak outlook. And again, reason why my apathy just just sticks on my shoulder right now. Because what 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 <laughs> if if the government if the government doesn't um if the government doesn't want to um if they're so uh slow on just the general um on energy prices right which is top of the news you know for for the past year in change right um well past few months let's just say that since this, since since last winter right um if they if they're being aloof on that what can you imagine the just the complete lack of fucks to give when it comes to the arts because it's the issue um you may not you may not be a person that goes to galleries right i don't go to galleries that often you know i went to the sachi gallery earlier this year for my pops's birthday and i really enjoyed it and i wish i could do more i wish i could do it more um I was, I was genuinely, if I had the P, I would definitely just widen my horizons on that and just hit up a museum like once a week. That would be amazing, right? And just gain that, gain that experience of just, you know, something different. Um, art comes in many flavors, right? It's not just music. It's not just film. It's uh, it's a lot of things. Art installations, visual art, you know what I mean? It's just, it's very, it's very different, unique, right? You gain something from that. You may not know what you gain from it, but you gain something from it. Um, or at least you just, you know, take a good day out. And that's what a lot of people as social beings we need, right? Kind of that if they ain't open. Kind of that if they ain't open. So I just don't really get why art is just devalued and put so low in the hierarchy. Um... When it comes to funding, I just I just don't get it. Uh, I I don't get how there's so much in defence spending when what are we defending? You know, just uh, what what are we defending? Let me look it up right quick. I'll finish on here. I'm gonna just help my I'm help my search right quick. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna quickly look up uh, UK defence uh, budget. Forty-eight point six five billion well, dollars in in this case. I don't know why it's dollars, but yeah. Um, UK military uh, spend uh, spending defence budget for twenty nineteen was forty-eight point six five billion. Uh, Two point four nine percent decline from twenty eighteen. And uh, yeah, I just I just don't really. Uh, I just don't, I just don't really get it. Honestly, I I, I really don't understand. Why you why the something like defense gets so much when I can't I don't what are we defending? <laughs> why are we spending it on you know, we'll never know that. But we know what we can you know what we can spend on? Spend on the arts. And that is very easy to paper trail art the arts. Very easy to paper trail that, but I don't see people paper trailing defence budget. Just a thought. Um but yeah. I don't know. It just adds to my apathy. All of this just adds to my apathy.
know, ladies and gentlemen, you know what? You know what really kills my apathy and actually gets me going? Shit like this. So, <laughs> so I found this article. Um, uh, just really caught my eye because I'm a big proponent of voice messages and voice notes. Uh, I feel like they're they're a good option to have. Not all the time. Don't need to use it every single time you want to hit someone up. No, of course not, right? Text messaging is good in some places, but voice notes are good in other places as well. Voice messages, VMs, right? So to say, have this have this egregious opinion uh, from Emily Cleary, a freelance uh, writer and it's uh, PR consultant apparently for uh, this one's via Metro. And it's called Voice Notes Are Rude, Arrogant and a Waste of t- Everyone's Time. Now, I don't know who you're talking to because I personally don't waste my time. Uh, I feel like if it's a person that is, if it's a conversation that warrants a long VM, and you know, if you know, we got social skills, right? You, we can clock. If someone's going to take six minutes, it takes six minutes. Sometimes you need that time, okay? But you know, I'm not one of those people also that um, do several voice notes. You know what I mean? Like just send you an avalanche of them. Nah, I'll, I'll send you one. Um, I might. I'm. Most of the time, I feel like I'm waffling. So I kill it after a few minutes and then start again. I do that. I I, I edit myself on that front, right? But to say they're a waste of time? Nah, there's a purpose. Rude? Arrogant? How? I don't know. But anyway, let's, ju- let's jump right in. Let's have a look. For me, there's nothing worse or more anxiety-inducing than seeing the italics on WhatsApp that your friend is recording a voice message. My stomach tightens. My heart races. I know that soon I'll have to sit through at least four minutes of incessant rambling. Okay, well, tell them to stop rambling then. Like, you know, check them. Check them. Check them on it. Because I don't ramble, personally. Uh, unless the conversation kind of warrants it. And also, it's better than a phone call in some way because you don't have to stop what you're doing. You don't have to listen to it right then. Go Listen to it when you have a couple of minutes on your time, on, on your docket, right? Don't have to do it while you're at work or anything. Just listen to it later. That's what messages are for. Don't have to reply to them immediately, although I personally would like a prompt response. You know what I mean? Don't take days like people do. Um, but anyway, just a thought. In this particular uh, instance, the culprit, let's call her Tina, goes on about how much her cat has eaten in the past few weeks before asking whether or not she should accept that uh, offer of a car ride to Laura's, again, change, I assume, birthday meal she mentioned in a previous note. After lamenting the, on the wonders of modern technology and chattering about how wonderful voice notes are because she has so much to say and can never, ever type all this out, she finally gets to the point of her message, do I want a lift next Thursday? In the meantime, I've managed to empty all the bins in my house, put the washing on and make myself a sandwich. I started my day calm, but now I'm agitated, having, a, had, a, having had Tina's inner dialogue imposed on me. Tina is a voice note lever, and I've just about had enough of them. <laughs> This is so OD. This is great. Since the emergence of WhatsApp and development of phones seemingly smarter than us, voice notes have reared their ugly heads. Tired of overusing their thumbs, uh, typing up uh, details of day's events, people have taken to taken to recording their thoughts and sending unsolicited voice messages to unwitting and unwilling recipients like me. Well, I think the voice notes are lazy. They're lazy, arrogant, and show utter contempt for the person on the receiving end. They are often off-the-cuff ramblings from someone who has no real point to make. Veiled as a method of keeping in touch, I find them irritating and pointless. If you've got too much to say for a text, send an email or even a letter. Wouldn't that be nice? You are disingenuous as fuck, Miss Cleary. 
disingenuous as fuck. You want an email, yeah? You want an email. I know she's probably being facetious, but it's just... Come on. OD, bro. OD. OD. What makes what uh, what makes what you are saying so important that the intended target isn't offered the opportunity to reply? What you can reply, <laughs> you can reply. Go for it. Like, uh, what what kind of argument is that? You can you can reply. It's it's, it's fine. Don't have to reply via VM either. But this is the thing, right? Let's talk about the negatives of texting. Okay, some people have conversations where it's just not built for text. It's just not. Sometimes a VM is purposeful. Sometimes a VM is needed to get that context. You know what I mean? If, if Even when you're having a, a an argument, I feel like a VM is better. It's not as good as a phone call or a face-to-face, which is the best option here in that case when you're having an argument with someone. Text is the worst out of all of that. Out of the four options, text is the worst to have a serious conversation, I feel. Any serious conversation, text is the worst. Bottom, bottom of the four. Guarant- I I believe that. I believe that. I can make I can make more of a case. But anyway, uh, if questions are asked or arguments made, I'd need to write them all down in order to run through them individually on return. Like, in which case, why not press call and just have a conversation? Sure, but again, sometimes you can't, you don't have the time for a phone call. Sometimes you just want to blap a voice a voice a message, and then continue on. You don't need to have a phone call. It doesn't need to be 20 minutes. It does not need to be 20 minutes. So you're talking about length, right? A phone call is even worse, is it not? No? Am I, am I tripping? Does anyone else have a two-minute phone call? No. Never. No chance. Anyway. I had a colleague who would leave four five-minute <laughs> voice notes informing me of all his views on how the industry was working, what I needed to do, uh, what he wanted to do, and why everyone else was wrong. He sent me voice notes at weekends and while I was on holiday, so in his mind at least, he had kept me updated with what was happening. In the end, I just stopped listening to them, leaving them leaving him on unread, or is it unheard? It gave me a sense of glee, knowing I was wasting his self-described precious time. During one work call over lockdown, I came clean. You know, as per my voice note, he pleaded, when I stared blankly in response to a question, didn't listen, I shrugged, and silently reveled in his anguish as he realised all those valuable opinions had fallen on deaf ears, or actually no ears. What? he said, shocked. Didn't listen, I repeated. I was on holiday, so I presumed you fill me in before, uh, fill me in when I was back in the office. And that was the end of that. No more voice notes from him. Jesus, can't just say, just say, can you not, can you write it down, I'm on holiday. Like, fuck, oh, I, like her communication skills are kind of boo boo here. Like just being real with you right now. Like if you if you're listening, Miss Cleary, like your your your, com- your communication is a bit boo boo on this side. Why didn't you say you're on vacation? Don't like don't be don't be sending me voice notes. I'm on vacation, right? You know what I mean? Just uh, like if you want to text me, text me. Go for it. I may or may not read them. I will read them when I get back. Um, at 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 maximum. Um, but just don't just straight up. Just don't send me voice notes. That's what you say. Like, be 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 forthright. Why why did you have him? Why did you have him spamming for for two weeks or however long it was? You know what I mean? Just that just comes off as that's rude. <laughs> like that's rude. Just completely blanking someone. Uh, like you know, I don't know. Just a thought. I have a colleague who coordinates a voice uh, voice notes Monday 
a voice notes Monday. Okay, now that's OD. I'm not doing that. I'm not scheduling voice notes like it's a fucking like a tannoy or like uh those sh- those shits uh, they do in uh, American schools. It's like uh, you know, good good morning, children. This is your daily bulletins. Like no 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 no, not doing that. Uh, for our closest friends, where they che- each check in and describe what's going on in their lives. She's 24. Is this a Gen Z thing? Uh, eh, probably. I don't know. I'm a, I'm 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 in the I'm in the middle there. Um, I don't, I've never heard that before. I mean, she's 22 years older than me. I've never had that. But anyway, perhaps I'm just too old to appreciate the convenience of this. But if I'm talking, I want somebody to talk back to me. You can send another voice note or have an even longer phone call. So. What's the problem here? Time, because I feel like time's an issue here. But you're saying talk, but you're saying phone call, or uh, and and I feel like where where, where do you where do you also fall on uh, on the when you're at work and the this could this could have just this meeting could have just been an email. You sound like someone that would rather have a meeting than an email. I don't know. I, I don't know where you where you rank your communication methods here. Anyway, it's coming a bit uh, coming a bit cross wires here. I want to hear the murmurs, their murmurs of support or snorts of disgust. I don't want to talk into the ether and pose my thoughts without the opportunity to hear what someone else has to say too. Okay, fair enough. Fair point. Send a voice note is like shouting at someone while wearing earmuffs. They have to listen, you don't. I have never responded to a voice note with another voice note and I never will. Alright, okay. <laughs> you just I guess. I also won't respond to any questions asking voice notes. I'm sure this irritates friends and colleagues, but in time, they work out the the way to get a response from me is to email or call instead. <sighs> All right, so I get email right. That's quicker. That's that's noticeably quicker. Um, to just you know pipe, uh, just put it down, whatever. Right, you know voice notes. People can natter. Calling though, you'd rather have a vo- a, a phone call than a voice note. This is my problem. This is my problem here. Why would you rather have a call than a voice note? Voice note comes off in my mind quicker. No, am I tripping? That's what I I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's each their own. I don't know. The only time I can understand the necessity for someone to record themselves while multitasking is perhaps parents with young children. <laughs> God, she's so OD. This is so specific. Like. Only parents with young children maybe could do it. Like, fuck. Or those are actually unable to type. Sure, okay. I fully understand that for a visually impaired, they could be a lifeline for connection. But the culprits, culprits I'm referring to are not the partially sighted or disabled. They're the people who put their convenience before mine. <laughs> so fucking... Oh, this is so snippy. I love it. This is hilarious. So fucking snippy. Uh, the people who want to save their time but waste money. <laughs> the people who ramble on for minutes, not those that said a quick "I'll pick you up a five. Have you ever had? Have you ever been in a com- in a phone call with somebody and they are just nattering for an hour? I have had those people. I would rather have that shit in a voice note. Trust me, I'd rather have that shit in a voice note. It won't be an hour. Guaranteed, fucking tea that. Fuck. She's never had a bad phone call, honestly, in her life. This is this is completely taking out the taking out the, the 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 potential of a bad phone call, of just somebody who completely hijacks the conversation. You know those people, that guy, what guy, that guy that hijacks the conversation. Na 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 na. Just shotgun, machine gun your shit, right? 
and just and just constantly barking in your ear, just going like, I don't know, I don't know, this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this. I feel so this, I feel so this. And all you, ha- all you, you know what you can say? Everything you can say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, yeah, damn. Mm. Yeah, that's not right. Stuff like that. You ever had that on a phone, a phone call? Fuck, you know. Worst. The worst. The worst. <sighs> Alright. The people want to save their time by waste mine. The people ramp on for five minutes. Not that they pick up five. It feels like the art of conversation is dying. <sighs> I mean, in some ways it is, right? Um, I feel like people don't know how to have a convers- hold a conversation. Um, you know, uh, I feel like yeah, people do. I-, I-, I can agree with that as a as a as a as an essay question as an essay statement. Um, I wouldn't say voice notes are the reason, um, but I feel yeah, convers- the art of conversation is definitely taking a back seat sometimes. Uh, having discussed my disgust uh, for listening to another person's stream of consciousness with friends and colleagues, it has hit me the voice notes on the new Marmite. You love them or hate them. Uh, there you go. Good point. Agreed. One elderly relative writes down everything she wants to say to her grandchildren. They record it as a voice note so they can hear her voice and keep it for as long as they want. That's beautiful. Listening to somebody shouting at passing cars as they try and cross the road while telling you what they had for dinner last night is not. Hey, I get that in a phone call. So what are we talking about here? I get that in a phone call. My boy calls me up. He's just got out of work and all I hear is fucking cars. All I hear is cars. So, and I'd, so... I don't know. I'd rather get that in a voice note because that would definitely be quicker than a phone call instead of me just bitching for 20 minutes going like, can you please go to a car road or something or do something for your, like, put some earphones on or something, like, change it up because it's sounding terrible right now. All I can hear is... It's like fucking wind blowing in the background. It's absurd. But that elderly relative one's fun. I like that. I might use that for my future use. Um, some may say voice notes are convenient, but for who? Certainly not for the person who is listening to what your waffle before you finally reach your point, if you even have one. Yeah, this woman has clearly never had a bad phone call. That's kind of just where I'm coming down on this. Like, you, 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 I don't think people understand how fucking horrible people can be on a phone call. And you, and all you can do is just like go, yeah, mm, mm-hmm, mm, yeah, mm, just hijackers man hijackers holding you hostage at least with a voice note you know what you can do press pause listen to it some other time the benefits of a voice note and ladies and gentlemen i'll leave it at that from the fifth film podcast network i'm a child and it's been what's good it's intro music has been too much by vanilla thanks to your music for the bit to use you can find both their links in the full show notes. Thanks to the friend of 5 you Napping Hire for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, hope you all have a good week. I should always try and do the same. But until next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.